ever get the uneasy feeling that you've been fed a lie? Not just any lie, but one that you have believed your entire life and which has guided many of your decisions. Most of the time, we shake off this feeling and go about our lives. But what if that feeling was the key to unlocking everything? I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and on each episode of The Big Lie, we'll reveal a new lie that once uncovered has the power to transform your relationships, career, and life. Let's do this. Hi, this is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and I have some exciting news to share with you. If you listen to Why It Works, you probably know I love audiobooks. I listen to about one a week, which equals over 50 new books a year. After much cajoling and inspiration by my good friend, Luis Rosado, I just released my own audiobook, Unlock Your Charisma. I'll share the link in the show notes and on my website at www.connectioncounselor.com slash whyitworks. Have a listen so you can be seen, be valued, and be chosen. Welcome, everybody, to The Big Lie. Today, we have a special guest, Tom English. He's the founder of Three Stewardships Limited, based in the UK. Operating globally, Tom mentors those who want to take control of their lives, connect with their purpose, and achieve their version of sustainable success. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Joe. Great to be back. Yeah, so we were on uh, my original podcast, Why It Works Together, and I believe the topic was uh, values-based self-governance, and it was a fascinating uh, topic that we covered. Um, How have you been doing during this uh, very interesting, unprecedented time? Yes, it certainly it certainly is unprecedented, and it's it's led to quite a few adaptations. And as with everybody else, as with most of the rest of the world, apart from the key workers who are who are real stalwarts in making sure that everything keeps moving in society, I've been working from home. So a lot of what I've been doing has been from home. But it's just it's just been such a blessing to be able to do that and to be able to work so well remotely with internet connections and. MacBooks and tablets and goodness knows what else. So yeah, it's been going. It's been going really well, thanks. It's um, it's it's not been too bad. We've we've been keeping safe and been sensible in in our own home and using the opportunity to get to know each other better as a family and to just enjoy being with one another as well and and enjoying our space and and making that space a little bit more of our own also. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. You've been working from home. I've been working from home. I hadn't had this thought until just recently, but what would have happened if this happened like, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, right? Where we don't have the connectivity, the video conferencing. I mean, I'm sure we would have adjusted, but uh, it really is quite, I don't know if luxury is the right word, but it's quite fortunate that uh, so many people can work from home. Yeah, it certainly is. I think it. I think it's quite amazing, and and I, I might sound like I'm I'm way out of step in saying this, but I think it is actually amazing how I'm able to to speak with you from West Yorkshire in in the UK, and you know you being in in New Jersey in the US, and we're just having this this live fluid conversation. I still think that's amazing, and and I'm not I'm not exactly an old man per se, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but I, I do I do still think it's I do th still think it's a huge blessing and it's a huge advantage that we have now vis-a-vis -vis people like you say um, 20 or 30 years ago who who didn't have the the connectivity and the, the technology that we do now yeah absolutely well let's get to know you a little bit better what would you say is your superpower my superpower good question i've had to do some some work on this especially in relation to my own business and figure out really what it is that that sets me apart and what i do really particularly well and what I feel that is relates to values and helping people to figure out what their values are and what values they are living by and which values they might like to adopt in relation to their aspirations. So figuring out, you know, where are you now? Where do you want to be? And how, we, how, how are we going to help you to get there? So that's really my superpower. My, my superpower is really helping people to identify what their values are and which values they need to, to, to lean into and adopt more of in order to, to reach their aspirations. So that, that's essentially what it is. And, and it's something that I love doing because I can see the transformations occurring in people as they, they set up habits around those values. Because when you talk about values, values can be very abstract. Even, even something as ubiquitous and universal as love, for example, that that can be quite an abstract concept and people say well what do you mean by love you know how does that relate is this you know is this love for yourself is it love for your family and is what is this what does it mean what does it look like in practice so for me it's about empowering people to live by those values that are really going to move the needle for them and help them to to essentially live a life that they are happy to live and that they're proud to live as well that where they're happy with with who they are because it's very easy for us to just just live in the moment and kind of get lost not because we're bad people but because we are just going through the motions of life and we are responding to different experiences and challenges and trials and demands that are put on us by by our work um, commitments and you know family commitments and other exigencies that that come up you know that makes a lot of sense uh to me and i'm not surprised um you know, you said that, you know, based on conversations we've had uh, in the past, it, it certainly resonates uh, as, as being uh, one of your superpowers. Um, you know what it kind of reminds me of when you said, you know, you help other people locate it. I don't know what that thing is, but it's kind of like shaped like a wishbone and, and people hold it. And, and do you know what that's yeah. called? Yeah, it's uh, like water divining. It's something to do with water yeah, divining. Isn't yeah, it? like a divining rod. Yeah, yeah. I, I just that's picture the, you the doing rod, that, yeah. <laughs> helping people find their values. Like, I know it's in there somewhere. Oh, beep, 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 beep. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's like that. It's like that. It's funny. It's funny you say that because that's a that's an interesting way of looking at it because it can be. It's so difficult for us to be self-aware. It's so yeah. difficult for us to do to do this work on our own. I've had to have mentors in my life to help me to figure out what my highest values are because it's so hard to do it just all on your own. As the saying goes, no man or woman, for, for example, is an island. We, we, we rely on each other. We, we need each other's help and we need each other's perspective for, for our own benefit as much as anything else, just to be able to determine where we're at and where we want to be and how we're going to get there. All right, great. Well, let's proceed to today's launch pad, which will be a video uh, from a very famous, uh, I guess it's a Disney uh, animated movie. So I will show the video and then ask you for your reaction. Finally there now, we haven't got all night. Wait, 
monkeys come from? Come on, come on, let's have another. And what's your name? Ah. Okay, you'll do. In you go. You horse will bring a nice price. <laughs> All right, next. And what might your name be? Alexander. So you can talk. Y yes, sir. I want to go home to my mama. Take him back. He can still talk. Please, please. I don't want to be a monkey. Let me out of here. You boys have had your fun. Now pay for it. Boys? So that's what... Pinocchio! <laughs> Hear that beetle talk? You'd think something was gonna happen to us. Conscious. Nah, fooey. Where's he get that stuff? How do you ever expect to be a real boy? What's he think I look like? A jackass? You sure do. <laughs> Hey, you laugh like a donkey. <laughs> Did that come out of me? So, Tom, maybe for those who aren't as uh, familiar with Pinocchio, what's what's going on there, and and how does this lead us into our big lie? Okay, so this is this is a really quite disturbing scene. Probably one of the most disturbing scenes I've ever seen on a, on a Disney animated film. And it's where we find out that the boys on Pleasure Island, who were promised to have every day as a holiday, I think that was the, the song that Honest John sings on the way to Pleasure Island when he goes with Pinocchio and deceives him to going there. But what, what really happens is that the, these boys, they go to Pleasure Island to have fun and to pursue pleasure and they're playing pool, they're drinking, they're smoking, they don't have a care in the world, they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, but they actually start to turn into to jackasses, into donkeys, and become enslaved. And we get, we get to see, as the audience, we get to see the process of these boys who've become donkeys, they've become enslaved by this, this very negative transformation, and then they get shipped off to the, the salt mines, to the circus, goodness knows where else. To, to work in, in this enslaved state. And we actually see uh, Pin um, Pinocchio's friend and, and Pinocchio himself start to make this very disturbing transformation where they, they grow ears, donkey ears and tails, you know, and then the, the face changes, they grow the fur and everything else. And the voice changes so that they can't, they can't speak anymore. They can only bray as a donkey does. And it's really quite, it's really quite disturbing because you can see how the deception has worked within these boys where they've been told that every day is going to be a holiday on Pleasure Island. You're going to get whatever you want and you can do whatever you want. And it's just going to be one big game. And then all of a sudden they find themselves unwittingly in this state where, where they're trapped, they're stuck, they're enslaved and, and they have transformed. Their, their decisions that they've made have transformed them. And unfortunately for them, it's, it's a very negative transformation. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting, um, that concept of becoming 
enslaved by that, right? It's, it's, it's something yeah. to, you know, and I don't even think it's age specific, right? But like to have this feeling that you have this freedom to do what you want and to do things that make you feel good. Yeah. And, and, and you bring up the point of that in a way kind of enslaving you. Um, talk to us a little bit more about, uh, and the name of this episode is the hedonism trap, right? Like, like how does that yeah. trap us? So hedonism, hedonism is an interesting one, and it's something that the even the ancient Greeks were were, were writing about this and debating this. And, and Epicurus was was one of the most he's one of the most well known who who was an advocate for for hedonism. You know the the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. And the interesting thing about that is that even not I mean notwithstanding the fact that Epicurus was ostensibly at least an advocate for for hedonism, even he said that no pleasure is bad in and of itself, but the things that make for pleasure in certain instances are worse than the, the pleasure themselves, and they, or, they cause, or rather they cause disturbances that are greater than the pleasure themselves. So, so it's, it's an interesting paradox because you would think on the outset that if you're going to pursue something that's pleasurable, then it's almost axiomatic in that if, if you're going to pursue pleasure and you're going to obtain pleasure, that's a good thing, right? But, but in actual fact, what happens is that it, it traps us because we, you know, we have brains and we're human beings and different parts of our brain are activated. The pleasure centers in the brain are activated on a particular level where it can create habits and it can create cravings and even addictions to these certain things that, that stimulate us, that give us pleasure in the moment, but that actually in the long term are really bad for us and really negative. And I'm, I'm not just talking about extreme things like addiction to drugs and things like that, but even, even things that we spend our time on as well, even how we use our time, even, even pursuing pleasure through video games. And I'm not saying that, I'm not for a moment saying there's anything wrong with playing video games. Video games are great, but, but if that becomes an end in itself, because we take pleasure from it and pleasure is our, our end that we are pursuing, then there's a huge opportunity cost to that because what it means is that that actually we're not getting anything else done we're not attending to our other areas of responsibility we can't build anything we're not we're not creating anything for ourselves and someone might come back to me and say well you know what there are games where you can create loads of things and they, they can cite different examples of games where you can create things and, and i'd say well that's wonderful but that's all within the context of that particular game. It's not really something that, that you've done yourself. You've not created your own platform, for example. It's, it's not like you've created your own game, per se. It's something that, that's been done as, um, in the pursuit of pleasure as an end in itself. So it's, it's important that, for me, I feel it's important to avoid falling into this enslavement where we literally only do what it is that makes us feel good in the moment it's important that we um, adopt a degree of moderation and we, we put time limits on things. So if, if you like playing video games, which is great, and I've, I've played plenty of video games in my time, put, putting some parameters there, maybe you have an hour or you have half an hour or you do it at certain times in the week when, when you're not working and you're not working on other things. So that you have very clear parameters there, but that you have a greater sense of, coming back to my point about values, you have a much greater sense of what your purpose is, what your values are, what your aspirations are, and how you're going to get there. Because if, if all we do is pursue what feels good in the moment and what feels pleasurable in the moment, 
then there's just simply no way that it, it, that is axiomatic. It's axiomatic that there's simply no way that we can achieve our aspirations and dreams if we're only following the, the pleasure in the moment. You know, something that you said is really interesting to me um, that with hedonism, which we'll describe as being something that's not good, right? We'll just say that for sake of discussion. Um, there's, a, there's, there's a mindlessness to it, right? There's, yeah. you know, the, there's no consideration to your point of values. There's no limitation in terms of, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to take this much of the cake and then I'm going to stop. There's just this like this gorging kind of like, uh, and, and I, I love the way you said, you know, pursuit for uh, pursuit of pleasure for pleasure itself. Right. Because then there's no, there's no moderation. As long as it feels good, you're just going to keep taking in whatever, whatever that thing is. And I wonder how do you draw the distinction between like, okay, I'm having a good time and you know, this is great because pleasure exists for a positive sort of biological reason versus, okay, now I'm actually damaging myself with this pleasure. Like, how do you sort of see some of the distinctions or signs maybe that, you know, this is good versus you should be a little bit more wary of, of that? That's a really good question. And it's something, it's something that relates to everybody. I think everybody has to, to some degree, answer that question for themselves. And for me, that question was put right in my face when I was a student at university. And the answer, it was a real, for me, it was a transformational moment. It was, it was an axial moment. And I was very much a hedonist <laughs> in, in some respect. <laughs> um, not, and I wasn't even doing anything. The thing is, I wasn't doing anything crazy. I wasn't, right. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything crazy. I wasn't, I wasn't, doing stuff that a lot of other people do when they're at university but yet there was this sense that outside of outside of doing my work I did my work I did what I needed to do there but but outside of that there was this sense of nihilism this sense of purposelessness this sense of okay it's party time what's going on who are we doing it with where are we going and I found myself very much avoiding coming to face to face with my own soul I think it was Carl Jung who said something to the effect of man will do, a man will do almost anything to avoid coming face to face with his own soul. And that was me. That was, that was me to, to an absolute T. And I remember, I still remember this vividly. There was one Saturday night where there was nothing going on. And it was very rare for that to be the case. I nearly always had something going on because I always had to be busy. I didn't like being on my own unless I was doing my work and had a specific focus on that. And I remember being in my bedroom and on my mobile phone and mobile phones weren't that good then. It was, it was just before we had iPhones and things like that. So they really weren't very interesting at all. So I was playing on, on games on that. And I think it was a puzzle bobble or something like that. And just, just some, some silly little game. And I remember just lying on my bed in my room and having this realization of just how empty my life was, how, I hadn't really cultivated the meaningful relationships that I wanted to have in my life. And fundamentally, I didn't like the person that I'd become. And that is, if, if anybody has had that experience, they'll know exactly what I mean by this. It's, it's really quite profound. And you have to make a decision at that point what you're going to do. 
why you're going to be alive <laughs> and why, why you want to be alive and what you're going to do with your life. It's a very existential situation. And for me, that situation, as I say, it, it was an axial moment because I had to think about that quite quickly and think, well, I don't like who I am, but how have I got here? Because I haven't done anything heinously wrong. I haven't done anything crazy, but I've just been living for the sake of my own pleasure. And so that's how I, that's how I knew that I'd gone too far to answer your question. But as I explain it and as I put it, and I'm going to address this in, in my TEDx talk that's coming up on the hedonism trap, I sleepwalked my way into that situation. I sleepwalked my way into that situation. I didn't consciously get to that point because I was in charge of my own life and because I was aware of what my aspirations were and the values and the principles that were going to get me there. I was, I was sleepwalking. And so I'd say as a first step, raise your awareness. That, this is what I'd say to people as a first step, is raise your awareness of what your aspirations are and your dreams. And I don't, say that, I don't say that lightly. I say that in all seriousness. Dare to dream and dare to have aspirations about where it is that you want to end up, what contribution it is that you want to make. And when you start to think in those terms, a lot of the hedonism becomes recognized as fluff. You start to recognize that stuff as fluff and, and distraction. And yeah, you might play the odd computer game here or there, or you might go out with your friends and have a drink on occasion. But when you've got that sense of purpose that is centered on contribution, then a lot of the other things will just take care of themselves. Yeah, what I really like about what you're saying um, about your purpose and, and reflecting on that and discovering it, like I almost picture that as, um, as like an anchor or like, like yeah. mooring you to something more substantive and, and to use your yeah. earlier description about it being a trap and kind of like wandering there you didn't realize you were there like that's what happens when you're not anchored to anything you just kind of go as the tides will take you and all of a sudden you find you're in a rip current you know and you're being sucked out to sea and you're like how did i get here the reason you got there was because you weren't anchored to anything substantive you were just kind of going with the flow and 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 that's where you ended up do you sort of see that um, happening to people, you know, when you, when you talk to people about this, what are some of the ways that um, they get into this trap? I break it down in three ways. I, th- I think beyond the three ways, there are, well, there are actually two fundamental reasons why people get into the trap. The first thing is, is these, these three things that are, that are central to our lives and, and the world that we live in. Distractions, temptations, and challenges. Those three things, distractions, temptations, and challenges. And those things are ubiquitous. Everybody has to deal with those things. Everybody is going to be distracted. Everybody's going to be tempted in some respect to to, to veer off and to go a different direction or on a direction that they know is not right on some moral level, whether it's, um, whether it's, when I say morality, I mean that quite broadly in terms of whether it's the wrong thing to do in relation to your purpose and what you know inside that you should be doing to make a contribution, or whether it's just, it's just a plain wrong thing to do. We're all going to receive those temptations to, to veer off away from what we know in our hearts and mind is the right thing. And distractions, I hardly need to say a word about that because we've all got these smartphones we spend so much time on and that ping up and say, oh, this is Trump said this and Boris Johnson's done that and goodness knows what else is going on in the world and coronavirus this and goodness knows what else. And so 
we're getting messages coming in from social media notifications and goodness knows what else. And so distractions are ubiquitous and they can pull us off course and, and challenges. I mean, life, life is tough. I, I suppose in some respects, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm similar to an existentialist in my, philosoph- in my philosophical approach to, to life and my outlook on life. Life is inherently hard. It's inherently difficult. And that's not a bad thing. It's, as I see it, it's how it's supposed to be. Because without the difficulties, without the challenges, we can't grow and we can't learn. And, and even something like the hedonism trap, for example, and falling into that trap, anybody can do it. It's not, this is what I say all the time, is that anybody can fall into the hedonism trap because of temptations, challenges, and distractions. It's not just, quote, unquote, bad people. It's, it's anybody. Anybody can do that. So it's really important that we are self-aware, that we are committed to our own self-governance. Because if you think about it, um, I spent some time working on a board and I remember how much time we spent governing the organization as a board and how we had all these committees. We had audit committees, ops committees, goodness knows what else. All these people, all these minds sitting around the table and talking about the well-being of this organization. And how well do we do that for ourselves? You know, how well do we govern ourselves? Do we really take stock in, in our own governance and how we're doing in a holistic way? How am I doing physically? How am I doing mentally, spiritually, emotionally? How am I doing in relation to my competence, my skills, and, and also my character? Is there congruity there between the, the private self and the public self as well? So, so yeah, I think a lot of it is about raising our consciousness and our self-governance in the midst of the challenges that we face, which are the challenges of life themselves and also distractions and temptations which are absolutely ubiquitous in in pretty much everybody's life as I've as I've seen it so far. Yeah, that really resonates with me and and one thing that comes to mind is as you're explaining this and and your perspective is when you talk about um contributions, right? Like yeah. that really resonates with me because when I think about um you can c- call it whatever you want your 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 purpose, your values, your super objective, your mission in life. To me that always, and, and, and you explain it this way, because I noticed you did, it's in the context of you plus other people. It's in the context of you and the world and how you serve and contribute and how you fit into the world, however you view the world. It's not in the context of just me and what do I do to make me happy. It's always in the context of you and how you fit in to the broader picture. Whereas if you take a look at, at hedonism, it's very much just about you, right? It's just yeah. about you and other people or other things. They're just props, right? Like they actually don't have anything to do with the success yeah. of, uh, of the thing, which is just to get as much um, pleasure. So talk to us a little bit about the value and the power of, of figuring that out, right? Like, like what is your purpose and, and your contribution? Yeah, yeah. The contribution element is interesting because as you mentioned, the, the, the business that I, that I run is called Three Stewardships. And that relates to what I define as three areas of stewardship that everybody has in their life. It doesn't, doesn't matter who you are, but just three very broad areas. And the first, the first stewardship is self. So that's the, the responsibility that you have to take care, to look after yourself. Like I say, body, mind, heart, and spirit, character, competence, etc. And then the second one of those areas of stewardship is relationships. How do we take care of our relationships? Do we look after our relationships? Do we nurture our relationships? 
so that we build trust with other people. And the third area of stewardship, and this is really when we step out, is the area of contribution. That's, that's a responsibility that we have. We have a responsibility to make a contribution. But the other two areas of stewardship, so the self and the relationships aspect, they are foundational to being able to make the contribution. Because ultimately, we can't make the contribution if we don't take care of ourselves. If we don't have the skills, for instance, to make a contribution, then it's going to be, it's going to be a substandard or a lousy contribution. And again, if we, don't have, if we don't have integrity, if we're not aligned within ourselves and with what it is that we, we say that we're going to do and the commitments that we make to other people, then we're not going to be able to build the relationships necessary to, to really move forward and, and, and build the business or deliver the goods, whatever it is that we do. Because the contribution can be so broad. And that's, what, that's the beautiful thing about it is that the contribution could be anything. It could be playing a sport. It could be painting pictures. It could be writing books. It could be coaching. It could be mentoring. It could be any, any number of things, any, any single way in which you can add value to somebody else mm-hmm. is a contribution or a potential contribution. And that's what I love about it. I just think it's so fantastic because literally anybody and everybody on, on the face of this planet can make a valuable contribution. We have the potential to do that. But if we're going to make a contribution that's worthwhile, then we have to take care of these other areas first. In order to do that, the paradox is that, like you say about hedonism, hedonism is focusing on, is focusing on the well, self-gratification mm-hmm. and the individual pleasure. But as I've mentioned, the, the first area of stewardship is the self, which isn't, it, which isn't um, self-indulgent. It isn't narcissistic or hedonistic whatsoever. It's about building your foundations. So once you build those foundations, it's from there that you can move forward to build the relationships. And then the crowning glory, as I see it, is making that contribution, a contribution that can really add value to other people. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up and, and the three areas, the, the, the self, the relationships, and, and the contribution. Um, it, it dovetails a lot with some thinking I've been doing around connection and, and how you connect yeah. with people. So I'm, I'm working on my third book, Unlock Your Connection. And I go through sort of a similar kind of analysis where, you know, the first person you have to connect with is yourself, right? Like you have to be, you know, self-governed. You have to understand what's important to you. Like you have to have a good sense of yourself first, because if you don't have that, it will be very difficult for you to connect, you know, with others. And, And once you have that, the better connected you are to yourself, the better you govern yourself, it actually frees you up to connect with more other people and different types of people. And once you have that connection, then you can get to the contribution because, you know, when two people are connected, you can do much more than anyone can do just um, by themselves. So, so that, you know, your kind of framework really resonates with some thinking I've been doing um, in a separate area uh, uh, very much so. And I think there's something universal about what you're saying. So I'm not surprised. These are kind of universal principles. It's not something that Tom just, you know, thought up with it's, it's something more like it existed and and you discovered it through your process of of thinking about it reading comparing talk to us a little bit about how these sorts of things sort of came to light for you very very interesting question so the, 
we, we'd probably need hours for me to go through how I how I figured out <laughs> how I figured out that it was my <laughs> my my calling in life to be to be a mentor in this respect um, relating to self governance, personal transformation. But but in short, in summary, I I figured out and and I'd say that it was more than anything, it was a spiritual process for me. It was a very very spiritual process and. I had three different mentors who separately, unconnected from each other, pretty much told me what my purpose was in life. You've got this work to do, they said, and there's this and that. And they, they all had different features that they mentioned to me. And it was really, really powerful experience for me because it came from three different people between one of the first experience I had was in 1999. The second one was in 2008 and the third one was in 2013. Wow. And so... Yeah, exactly. And these people don't know each other whatsoever, never met each other. So it was kind of mind blowing for me where I was being pushed. I was being nurtured, like you need to get on and do this. And, and this is the thing, but I had to discover that within myself. So it's no good for somebody from the outside saying you have this work to do. I had to figure that out. I had to ingest that information and get to know myself better. So I had to sort the hedonism thing out that I was dealing with, I had to get out of that trap. And that was a situation I was in in 2008, getting out of the hedonism trap. And then I had to work on other things as well, because fundamentally I had to get my own self-governance right. That's not just right. about, you know, not being in the hedonism trap, but, but also figuring out what value I could really offer. I did an awful lot of study and um, soul searching, you can, you can see just <laughs> behind me, I don't think the listeners will be able to see because they're, they're listening for obvious reasons. But, but I've got a lot of books, so I read a lot of books, I read a lot of philosophy, and I, I really, really just gather ideas. I love ideas, I love unpicking ideas and thinking about ideas. And I decided that, I think it was in 2017, 2018, I thought, right, I need to, be, I need to do some mentoring work. I need, to, I need to start doing this. And I was looking for a theme because I had the, the pieces to the puzzle, but I hadn't quite put them together yet. So I thought, right, I need to start. And so I started mentoring some people for free, which is what a lot of people do when, when they're starting something up. And I just remember, I, this is going to sound like quite a, a far out story, but I remember it was between Christmas and New Year's in 2018, 2019. And I, I literally woke up in the middle of the night and it came, it, it, it all came into my head. Uh, that's the only way that I can describe wow. it. Wow. Yeah. The three stewardships thing came into my head and it was almost like, this is going to make me sound crazy, but it was like, there was almost like a voice that came into my head that says, you need to mentor people on three stewardships, self <laughs> relationships and contribution. I was like, Whoa, Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so at that point I actually got up, this was like 3am or something like that. It was three o'clock in the morning. I got up, I wrote, I went to my office, I wrote it down and I showed my wife the next morning because I said, this is crazy. Last night I woke up and literally, this isn't something that I'd been thinking about beforehand or in the lead up to this about stewardship, et cetera, or this framework. But, but literally it just came into my head as if from, from an outside source, I showed my wife and I talked her through it in terms of the experience that I'd had. And she was like, yeah, that, that just makes total sense. It's, it's really well integrated in it it really fits. And so that's, that's how it really happened for me. That was at the, yeah, like I say, it was between 2018, 2019, uh, the period between Christmas and New Year's. And from that point, I've, I've developed the framework and built it out even more and even, even more. And it's, and without, without overcomplicating it, but keeping it at its essence. And I, and I absolutely love using it because I see how it works 
for other people and how I really do feel it. I, I don't know, you know, I can't say exactly where it's come from, of course, but, but it's come from, it's come from a higher place than myself. I, like you say, I haven't, I haven't created this thing because these principles already exist, but I feel as though I've been given it to empower me to empower other people, if that makes sense, to really have a framework that I can, I can give to people to self-govern. You know what? I, 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 I love that sort of origin story. Um, and a couple things about it I would love to share with you. One, I truly believe that, you know how they always talk about the difference between like um, intellectual knowledge and, and, and experiential knowledge. Like I really feel that like all the things you went through in your life were kind of leading up to that moment, right? Like you had to live those things. You know, just those mentors talking to you was not enough. And as you can see from sort of the span over the years, you had a lot of living to do to really kind of get those pieces to um, sort of activate so you, so, so you own them and you internalize them rather than just memorizing like a, a list of concepts. So that's one thing I, I truly believe about um, sort of your path. And then the other thing is, I love the fact that like, you know, you, 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 you got the message, you know, in the evening, wherever it came from, you got up and you immediately like scribble it down. And, and I believe, I really believe this, if you had not acted on it at that point, or let's say within the morning of you woke up, it could have very easily just disappeared and gone into the ether and you would have missed that, I don't want to say opportunity, but you would have missed that kind of realization of who you were becoming. Does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely, completely. I think, I think life is like that. I think we get given things. I, I, there's that saying, I think it, it might be in the Bible where it says, you're called, but few are chosen. And the reason, the reason why few are chosen is because I don't think, I think there are a lot of people who don't take these opportunities. They just, they don't necessarily, and I'm not saying it's their fault per se, because it takes, I think it takes practice to, to really tap into that sort of intuition that, mm -hmm. that we can all get. And, and to really embrace that, the things that, that we've been guided towards in our lives, wherever it comes from and whatever we believe, wherever we believe it comes from, whether it's God or a higher power or the universe or whatever, it's, it's not easy to do that. And it takes, it takes years of practice. And it's like you say about, about owning the experience. So the first experience that I had when, when somebody gave me that information about, about my role in life, I was about, gosh, I was about 15 years old at that time. And, mm -hmm. and that, that information I had at that time was entirely unappreciated because mm -hmm. it, it was recorded, it was written down and I had it to refer back to, which was great. But I had to grow into that. I had to understand what that meant as a mantle that was placed upon me, a responsibility that was placed upon me. So, so yeah, it's not about, it's not just about the knowledge per se. It's not just about book learning. It's about, it's about application of principles. And so the learning, the learning I feel comes through execution. So as much as you're looking at all these books behind me and that I can, I can assure you there, there are plenty of others, there are stacks besides me as well as bookshelves on the wall and goodness knows what else. But, but as much as I love the books, I love the learning and I'll always ingest new knowledge. It's about the application. It's about really ingesting those things and thinking, okay, I want to be better at I don't know. I, I want to, I want to be better at stewardship. So what does that mean? Well, for me, stewardship is about care. It's about showing more care. And that starts with myself because if I can't look after myself, if I'm burning myself out all the time, 
and burning the candle at both ends by going to bed late and getting up early, then how can I take care of anybody else? Or how can I take care of my contribution? How can I make a, a good contribution that's really going to add value to somebody if, if I'm not looking after myself? So these things flow into each other and they are synergistic. They do, that, that word gets, gets used a lot and sometimes it gets overused, I think. But there is a genuine natural synergy between these things where they, where they naturally connect. But we have to discover that for ourselves. And sometimes that discovery is painful because we make mistakes and because we, we do burn out and we do, we do fall down or we have a difficult relationship or we make a mistake in a relationship that sometimes, that sometimes causes a falling out. And so I don't, think, I don't think that pain is a bad thing in that instance whatsoever. I think pain is a very good thing. Pain is a very useful thing. And so if we live a life, coming back to the point about hedonism, if we live a life that's pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain, then the opportunity cost is so much learning. Mm. We're losing so much learning mm. by avoiding pain because the, the, the message, the message that, that we need to get oftentimes is in our darkest moments. If, if you read about mythology, if you read Joseph Campbell's work, you know, things like The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Love him. You read, yeah, you read these guys, you read about Jung and, um, and others and, and the existentialist philosophers as well. Um, anything, anything religious, scriptural, um, in, in any of the major religions will refer to this as well, that, that there is so much to be learned through pain and through suffering. And that doesn't mean that we, we're masochistic and we go out looking for it, because I don't think anybody necessarily needs to do that. But if we're running away from it all the time, then we're leaving so much knowledge, so much wisdom and experience on the table that that can be transformational for us. It can help us to genuinely become a new person, an entirely new person. And so as much as, as, much as I might hate to say this sometimes, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the scars that I've got because that's where the lessons have really, have really come. That's where the, the, the lessons lie, in, in the pain, in the wound. Because the wound creates, well, it does a few things actually. The wound, and the scar do a few things. So, so the wound is where the initial pain is. And that is where you learn the lesson. It's like, oh my gosh, okay, don't touch the hot stove. That, that, that very simple analogy about a child not, not getting burned by a hot stove or an iron. Okay, don't do that again because it really hurts. You learn that in the moment. But then you have the scar there as a reminder. And the reminder is useful because in that reminder is the principle at play. That's how we can learn the principle. So we, we learn the underlying principle which lets us know where we went wrong, but also corollary to that, where we can go right, because we can look at that and do, then do the opposite of that or chart a different course. But again, it comes down to having that, that self-consciousness, that, that, um, that self-awareness, not, not so much self-consciousness, but self-awareness and um, conscientiousness in terms of who we are, who we want to be, and how we're going to get there. See, I, I love that analogy about, about the wound um, and the scarring. Um, one thing I would say is there's kind of a danger here for our listeners, right? Because what happens is people have heard these sorts of lessons or ways about thinking 
so much that they almost kind of don't believe them anymore, right? Like, because to, to your point, like you have to experience them and then yeah. really understand that. Otherwise, it just seems like, oh, it's a clever thing that everyone always says, you know, you need to fail, fail yeah. fast, pain is good, you know, kind of thing. But I mean, if you really stop and think about it, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot in the concept of, of, of learning in general and, and teaching interpersonal skills, if you have no pain, right? If, if you're trying to learn something and you can do it easily, you are not actually growing, right? Like, like if I'm doing something that I can easily do or, or Tom is teaching something he can easily teach, you're not growing. You're just doing what you could already do already. You actually have to be challenged and have some difficulty and, and work through that. And then once you figure that out, it's like you're transformed and, and, and you're this new person. But I feel a lot of us, we tend to forget that. And then the other thing going back to the to the hedonism is, you know, I think you mentioned this, it's almost like we almost train ourselves to avoid that kind of learning because we, yeah. our bodies and our brains are trained to just seek pleasure, right? So when yeah. we're so good at seeking pleasure and so not into seeking pain, then it can have like an unintended sort of side effect of not being able to learn anything because as soon as something gets hard, oh, you know what, I want to do something fun instead, yeah. you know, let's, let's go have a drink yeah. kind of thing. Absolutely. That is such a great point. I, I've been really into um, neuroscience recently, really reading about neuroscience and, and neuroplasticity, because the brain, the brain is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing in the way in which you can literally create a new brain through neuro, neuroplasticity and really changing, changing your habits, changing what you think about as well. And I think what, what some people do, what some people advocate in terms of embracing pain for, for learning and for personal growth is they do things they do things like taking cold showers and things like that and and deliberately putting themselves out of their comfort zone which can be really effective because that habitualizes that um i would say that that avoidance of falling into to the hedonism trap where mm. you've, you've trained your brain only to do things that that are pleasurable or enjoyable and, and it's, it's powerful because people can get stuck in that to a degree. But there's also hope as well. I'd have to say there's also hope. So anybody listening to this who feels like they might be in that hedonism trap and, oh, gosh, how am I ever going to change? And pain sounds terrible and I'm, I don't have any courage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away from it. There is hope because you can, you can rewire your brain. And that sounds really whacked out and maybe a bit drastic, but it doesn't involve any sort of surgery. It just involves adopting new habits of thinking and doing. And then through the, the new habits of thinking and doing, then you become. That's, that's how we become. We, we become who it is that we want to be through, through what it is that we do and think about most regularly and, and thinking greater than we, than we feel. You know, this is really powerful stuff. How we can, we have the power, we have the autonomy to step outside of ourselves. We have a degree of sentience where we can almost see ourselves from a bird's eye view. If, if we take the time, and I think it's the, the, the leadership academic, Ron Heifetz, who talks about this idea of stepping onto the balcony. He talks about leaders in, in a dance hall situation or in a, in a, on, on the dance floor. When they're on the dance floor and they're in the heat of the moment, they're, they're in the heat of the moment. They can't really see the big picture. They can't really see what's going on because they're in the heat of the moment. Uh -huh. But as he puts it, every now and again, you need to step off the dance floor and get onto the balcony so that you can see the, the terrain. You can, you can see 
more effectively the lie of the land and and how things are going how things are playing out where are the opportunities where are the risks where do you want to be where do you not want to be and and how can you can you make a contribution how can you affect change and i i really love that analogy because i feel like all of us at some point need to step off the dance floor and we need to get on the balcony and just have a look out at our lives and just just see how things are going just see how the terrain is who Who's there? Who's, who's dancing? Who's standing on the sidelines? Who, who can we work with? Who can we collaborate with? Who, who needs our contribution? Who can we add value to? Who's, whose contribution do we need? Who do we need help from in order to get to the next level? And, and really step outside of ourselves. And, and the beauty of being, being a human being is that, that we're able to do that. We're not like other animals that are very much stuck in, in quite a limbic state where they're quite survival-oriented we can we can step out of survival mode and get into creative mode but we have to make that choice and we have to give ourselves the time and space in order to do so you know i i i love that metaphor as well and and i love one of the words you're using there is con and concepts is that we have choice right it's yeah. it's 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 a choice we can make sometimes it feels like we don't have a choice we feel driven or you know push to do something, but I, I truly believe as, as I can feel that you do, yeah. ultimately we are making a choice, right? Whether it's conscious or not, we, we are making a choice, which leads us to our next step. So I would love if you could share with our audience just one, you know, concrete, practical step that people can take today to take advantage of um, this new way of, of thinking about things and having this uh, hedonism or hedonism trap uh, lie exposed? I would say in terms of one concrete thing to do, it yeah. would be to focus, focus every day on what your contribution is going to be. And look at it in terms of what your contribution is going to be in the home, in your communities, and also in your professional life and the wider world as well. Those three areas, your contribution in the home, your communities, and also in the wider world. And you might not necessarily have an opportunity to make a contribution in, in all three of those aspects every day. But if you think about that, if you start to get into the habit of thinking about what can I contribute, then it's almost axiomatic in the sense that you will not be, you will change your, you, again, it, it comes back to that, those neural pathways. You're creating new neural pathways and you don't have the, the headspace to, to really think about your own pleasure so much because your focus has changed entirely. So think about your contribution and think about the context in which you can contribute as well. And I absolutely promise you that you will, you will, slowly not necessarily well maybe not slowly you could even quickly find your way out of the hedonism trap but you will if you adopt that as a habit find your way out of the hedonism trap and you will find that you like yourself a lot more than you did before because that was one of the things that struck me when i was in the hedonism trap one of the things that really hit me was i didn't like the person that i'd become mm. and i also didn't like um yeah and i also didn't like the fact that i hadn't consciously chosen to be that person but mm -hmm. mm -hmm. well, we can fix that yeah i love it i love it you know it's it's funny some people um listening may you know hear what you're saying and and it almost sounds like deceptively simple but but i feel there's a lot of power 
in 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 yes. carrying through on those principles and it's in the doing right you hear it and you're like yep. oh yep. tom you're telling me three things it's so simple i just make some bullet but it's not when you actually have to apply this it is yep. very difficult and it can be extremely transformational. I, I, I truly believe that. So Tom, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, again, learn so much. Uh, what are you working on these days? And for our guests maybe who are more in, who are interested in you know, continuing the conversation, how can they get in touch with you? I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. My, my URL, my appendage to the, the regular LinkedIn URL is Tom English 3S, and that's the, the character three rather than the word three. You can also find me on my website as well, which is threestewardships.com. And again, that's just the character three rather than the, the, the word three spelled out in, in letters. And what am I working on at the moment? I'm, I'm actually, well, I've got a TEDx talk lined up in Boston, which is going to be given either in October or April next year it was actually i was actually supposed to have given it already but because of the the coronavirus situation it, it's been postponed so so that's in the works i'm also working on a mastermind workshop on escaping the hedonism trap which i'm hoping to deliver by the end of the year so so that i'm really excited about that i'm, I'm working quite hard on putting that together and delivering that to groups online small groups fairly focused fairly concentrated and we'll really dig into the tool sets that, that are really going to help push the needle. So it'll be a lot more hands-on, a lot more practical stuff, which, which goes along the lines of helping people to, to create a life that they're happy to live. And, and so that they can be happy with who they are, that they can be at least content with who they are and content with the, the trajectory that they're on. Well, thank you, Tom, for sharing your big lie with us. I can't wait to see what happens next. Thanks for telling me, Joe. Hi, this is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor. Do you like feeling stuck in your professional career or relationships? Do you like wasting time on top five lists or superficial advice? If there was a way to change your life without having to get anyone else's permission, would you take it? I'm happy to announce the launch of Unlock University or unlock you. Join us as we unlock the 12 super personal skills that will immediately transform the way people respond to you. To learn more, go to www.connectioncounselor.com. See you in class. Thank you so much for listening to The Big Lie. We hope it has an amazing impact on your life. I only have one favor to ask. If you enjoy the show, please tell the one person you know who needs to hear about it and share the link. That's it. Together, we can vanquish these illusions that are holding us back.